On today's episode of AV Social, we talked with the Caster crew, uh, Caster Communications, about social media, case studies, public relations, hashtags, boosting, and a whole bunch of other awesome stuff. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Social, episode 58, to boost or not to boost. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of AV Social here on avnation.tv. I am one of your hosts, Don Mead, and today we have a very unusual show for you. Unusual in that it's not our usual panel discussion, per se. Um, earlier this month, thanks to the pandemic that we're all experiencing and the fact that we're all stuck in our houses, AV Nation held its first ever Learning From Home summits for both residential and commercial dealers. Part of those summits were classes that were presented by some of our dear friends, including our friends over at Caster Communication, who led at least two classes on social media, marketing, communications, um, topics like that. And so for today's show, what we're doing is the folks at Caster get a lot of questions all the time, but they also got a lot of questions. I don't know if you can see all of the questions here um, from our viewers and listeners of the summit. So we wanted to take this entire episode as an opportunity to answer some of those questions in person with the folks from Caster. And uh, to introduce those folks, here is, as usual, my lovely co-host, Miss Kelly Perkins. Hi, Kelly. Thank you, Don. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, the crew from Caster's here, and we're super excited. We have uh, Miss Alex Crab up in the top corner there. Hey, Alex. Hey, everyone. And we have Laura Schubel with the background of the Caster Communications office. Yes. And then we have uh, Mr. Pete Gerard in the nice button-up blue shirt there. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, everybody. Or, you know, the one with the beard. <laughs> That one, too. <laughs> All of those work. So we, um, we are super lucky to have these guys on because they took a bunch of questions from this past week over social media and from the conference that Don mentioned. Um, so let's kick it off kind of with some of the questions that they get asked the most. Um, so, hey, guys, how do we know what hashtags are effective to use on Instagram and Facebook? I'm happy to start with um, what's effective on Instagram, and then, can, then I'll pass it on to other folks for Facebook if they want to chime in there. But um, on Instagram, you're able to include up to 30 hashtags on a post. Um, and actually, while you're creating your content, if you're putting in um, a specific hashtag, you can see how many times that one's often used. So actually, um, one of the pitfalls that a lot of uh, companies and clients and even like dealers can fall into is that um, you automatically type in a hashtag and you see like a really large, large number that it's used a lot. And a lot of folks default to those where they see a hashtag that's used and, oh, this one's used a ton of times. Let me make sure I use one, this one in my post. Um, it can actually be better to use some of those hashtags that are a little, much more specific and actually used a little bit less. Um, hashtags are what people are searching for on Instagram. And so if you actually use like a smaller one, the chances of your content popping up is a lot higher than if you used a hashtag that gets used like 100,000 times or something like that. So um, a lot of times if you go strictly by numbers, 
uh, and you see one that's used like 100,000 times versus one that might be used um, like 5,000 times or less than 5,000, um, you could be tempted to use the bigger one, but it can be much more strategic to getting your content out there if you're using um, smaller ones. Um, and you do have the opportunity to mix and match. So you can use, you can certainly use some of those that do have large, um, larger numbers attached to them. Um, and you get to use up to 30. So if you're able to use up to 30, I definitely recommend maximizing the number of hashtags that you can use uh, on Instagram content specifically. Wow. And also let, let me just jump in that we did a show two shows ago at this point on crisis communication and um, what to do and what not to do on social in a crisis. And, Pete's point regarding large hits on a hashtag reminded me of a story we covered a few years ago uh, with, uh, you know, be aware of what's in the news when you're looking at big number hashtags as well. I remember a dress company got in trouble for piggybacking on the hashtag Aurora because their new dress was called Aurora and they were like, oh, everybody's talking about our new dress. And it's like, no, everybody was talking about the Aurora movie theater shooting and that was a bad use of social media hashtags. That's so a good example. Do what Pete said, but also make sure you're not jumping on a busy hashtag for other reasons. <laughs> Alex, yes. what other advice do you have for hashtags and uh, what, what to use, what not to use? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Search the hashtag, see who's using it and what it's being used for. Start with, um, you know, those that are relevant for your industry. I, we always all, on the, everyone here loves to use the AV tweets because it reaches our, our people in this industry. Um, I think the other thing I was going to say, we don't use hashtags a lot on Facebook. So people ask us this question, but... Um, I don't think hashtags are super relevant for Facebook. You could tag people and tag companies and that's okay. And that's great. Good to do. Good to do. Um, but they are very, very relevant for Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram, like Pete just mentioned. So um, I would, I would certainly use them there. Anything else to add, Laura? I think that's. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add is if you're not sure which hashtags to use, a really easy way to get started is to look at some of the hashtags like manufacturers you're working with. So if you work with like a restaurant or a control for or something or a speaker company, just look at their Instagram posts. And then that's like a quick search of like, okay, these are relevant. Someone's already done a research and you can grab them and start building your own list based on what you're using and what you post about. Smart. A lot of people curate their own list too. They'll try and use like the same 10 or 12, which is a totally fine approach. But um, if you're trying to expand audiences and because you are able to use up to 30, um, definitely and step outside your comfort zone every once in a while. But to Dawn's point, make sure that you're not jumping on a hashtag that has something that is completely either unrelated or just not a hashtag you want to be involved with. Folks, we don't want to talk about you on a future episode. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> in a bad way. <laughs> don't be an oops. <laughs> so um, one question that I'm sure you guys get all the time, and I know I've gotten it just you know, on the periphery of, I'm not a marketing professional anymore, so, as you folks are, but what do you recommend when your company gets bad reviews on like Yelp or Google or even Facebook pages? Uh, I mean, we've really jumped quickly to the influencer culture and, uh, you know, folks know about searching up reviews and checking them out. What can you do in that case? Engage, hide, remove it. You know, there's pros and cons of all the approaches. Um, What's your best advice on that topic? Uh, let's start with Laura this time. Yeah, I would say Impression. the number one rule for that is to respond. Um, they shouldn't be ignored or hidden. Um, 
it's going to look really bad if, you know, if there are a lot of people saying something positive or negative about your business and you have no response at all. If someone's coming to your Facebook page and there's reviews that they're looking at and there's no response, they might wonder if you're still in business. Um, that can reflect poorly on like your customer service. Maybe they wouldn't want to work with you if they think you're not going to be communicative. Um, but if someone leaves a bad review, you should definitely respond to it, even just to try and get their info and get the conversation offline so they're not having that discussion in public. But, you know, show that you're caring, being attentive to it, polite, you know, good grammar, all of that kind of stuff will make you look professional. Um, and just, you know, saying, addressing like, hey, we're really sorry if this didn't turn out. Let's see how we can do a resolution and move it offline is kind of the best course of action. It might vary. Some people might not do that and they might continue to go on. So there's a point where you might want to kind of stop it and hide it. People are certainly going to understand if someone's being psycho. You can see when someone's doing a psycho review, but generally you should try and respond and just be honest and helpful as much as you can. Definitely not wishing a bad review on anybody, but um, a, a, a poor review turned positive, I actually think is more beneficial to a company sometimes than, um, than like a, a bunch of five star reviews. Um, customers, we already know, or, 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 or clients and customers um, read up on the reviews and they do want to see how those, how those do turn out. Um, so if you do find yourself in a situation where you have a um, a bad review if, to Laura's point, if you take the time to respond positively, it turns, it can turn into a really golden opportunity to completely turn that around. Um, lots of times it can be just a, uh, like a misunderstanding. And if you're able to clear that up quickly, um, folks that do take the time to write uh, reviews online will either, they could potentially take the time to update their review or, or change their ranking. So it can actually turn into a, like a poor review that turns into a really good review. Uh, and that, can speak volumes to other folks who are who are reading the reviews versus the this was great they were great to work with if you have a bunch of those but if you can see love if you can see that somebody had a problem uh, and maybe it's maybe it's a common one maybe maybe it's not um, but that the company or the or the uh, client took the time to reverse it and make things right uh, that can be super powerful for your business that's a that's a great point Pete and uh, it actually reminds me Kelly do you remember when we had Peter Shankman on here with his book, uh, Zombie Loyalists, a few years ago, when that book came out, he brought up a point very similar to that, which is customers at this point expect everybody to suck. They just expect like bare minimum acceptable performance is all they expect out of companies. So if you do even a half a smidgen above that, like responding positively and hopefully to a bad review, they suddenly think you're fantastic and will come back to you more and more. And that's how you start to build some of those loyal zombie customers, as Peter called them. So great point, Pete. Thanks. Uh, Alex, anything to add to what Laura and Pete said? Um, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, I agree with everything they say. And then also make your response personal to them. So don't copy and paste the same responses over and over again. Um, and then the other thing that I would advise about looking out for is, um, sometimes people forget about their better business bureau listing and cause those kind of, you know, we're not regularly posting on those. They're not like our social media we're managing and maintaining, but check those out because people can leave comments or um, reviews there as well. And you should, you should respond there because responding to those actually improve, even if it's a negative feedback from from a customer, if you respond to it, that helps improve your um, score there. So take a look at those places that aren't just your regular Yelps and Googles um, because 
there's a lot of places for people to leave reviews these days. Oh, I never even thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, we, I don't, I didn't think of it either until it came up with one of our clients and we were like, oh, how do we make the score better? And we did a lot of research and one of the biggest things that does it is just responding, just, just letting those people know you got oh. their feedback and you're, you know, whatever you're going to do with it. Um, so, yeah. Oh. A lot of times, like the knee-jerk reaction to a poor review is to contact where, like whatever platform it's on and try and get it removed, but I have not seen that work. Um, it is super hard to get uh, a review um, removed. It has to be like either, it has to be just way out there. Um, so by and large, the best course of action is to respond and, and even if they don't answer back, then people reading those will be like, well, at least the company responded. And so to your point of going even that smidge above, above and beyond what they're expecting us to do. Yeah, right. that's a good point. Great. Um, so let's be frank, you know, between us, not everybody in the AV industry has the money to hire a caster communication or even an automated platform. Most of us that are marketing and back when I was an integrators marketing department myself, uh, you have to wing a lot of things. You got to do everything yourself. So for those who are watching or listening that can't use social media scheduling tools or just don't use social media scheduling tools, is there a best practice as to how content should be pushed, how often or times of days or just some, just some general rules of thumb that we can kind of use when we're winging it? Alex, let's start with you this time. Yeah. So I would, strongly recommend getting um, one of those scheduling platforms. And there's a lot that are free um, or have free, you know, versions. So TweetDeck is obviously really great for Twitter. Um, Hootsuite has a free version that you can do more than just Twitter on, I think. Um, and Sprout Social is the one we use. It, we use obviously a paid version, but there is something free. It might be just a trial, but I would try them out. Um, Facebook has its own scheduling tool. So there's lots of tools to use. And I think that it's super helpful to, for people to be able to schedule it out, especially if you ha don't have um, somebody helping manage your social media, because it can, it can feel overwhelming and it can be really difficult to prioritize. But if you get the, get some sort of scheduling tool, then it kind of keeps you honest to set some time aside, um, dedicates a specific, um, time each week or each, um, you know, you don't have to do it every single day, but each week maybe, and then, um, spend that time drafting out the posters, responding to people's comments or questions. Um, and it's going to, it's going to make it easier. It's going to feel less overwhelming and like less like you're always on social trying to keep up with it if you just block out these scheduled times. So I definitely do recommend getting a tool um, to help you schedule. And there are a lot of good uh, free ones out there to try. So, so how often would you recommend um, people posting on different social media outlets if they're scheduling or, or not? It depends on which one you're prioritizing. We talked a lot about, uh, from our presentations, we talked a lot about um, deciding which platform you wanna be on and then doing that platform or those couple platforms very well. Um, there's a lot uh, we see, or we get a lot of questions about like, which one should I be on? And it kind of depends on where you're trying to reach your customers. So Facebook is a, is a priority if you're trying to do more of the B2B side, then LinkedIn's a great one. Um, 
you definitely don't need to be on every single one. So for some, for some companies out there, Instagram's not going to make as much sense as definitely having like a Facebook and a LinkedIn presence. Um, we use Twitter a lot for our clients, um, like especially on the media side. Uh, so it all really depends on where you're moving there. Um, but a, another kind of pitfall that um, companies fall into is having something like unique for every single one of those platforms. You can repurpose uh, content that you've posted up on Facebook and change it or tweak it slightly for LinkedIn or for Twitter, um, and then potentially just schedule those for, for different dates. So you really want to, if you're going to take the time, as Alex said, to set aside uh, like a social media block and really plan out what you want to do, um, work smarter and not harder and take a, like a post that you already you that you've already um, written out and decided that you want to publish on Facebook and turn that into something that you can use on Twitter or that you can use that on, um, that you can use on, on LinkedIn or another platform and schedule it for a different day and a different time. Um, I think that kind of does link into cross platform posting, which we do get asked a lot as well. Um, but I would definitely think leveraging the unique um, posts for the different platforms, different days and different times is, is a lot stronger than pushing just the same post out across all of your platforms. Interesting. I can't even imagine trying to post different content on every, every social media channel. <laughs> seems well, no, you can use the same content, but then sort of mix up, you know, right. we always, we like to say we take each piece of content and turn each piece of content into a, a mini campaign on its own. So we'll use it multiple times across all the channels um, in different, slightly different ways, pull a different quote from it or a different, um, you know, like if it's an article you're sharing, pull a different quote from it for each platform. Um, use like slightly different hashtag combination or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't use, you, you want to like, if it's good content, you want to leverage it everywhere. Um, but you can mix it up. And I, I think um, one of the most more important about than how often you're posting is, is staying consistent. So create a calendar, sort of a, a, a content calendar and stick to those times that you're going to schedule out stuff. Um, and it doesn't have to be all the time every day. Like I said, um, you could post on LinkedIn once a week. Um, you could post on Twitter a couple times a week. Just stay consistent with it. Don't let it drop off for weeks or months at a time. And then also make sure you're responding to people's comments or questions in a timely manner because people get, you know, they have, um, they don't have a lot of patience on social for, for companies responding to them. So. Right. And I think all of that's a little easier with, if you follow Pete's advice there and limit which social platforms you have, because when Alex says, you know, use the same content everywhere, it doesn't have to be everywhere because if you're selling to my company in the defense aerospace industry, we don't need to see a TikTok of your technicians <laughs> dancing in the warehouse right. because that might hit our CEO's 15-year-old grandkid, but it's not going to hit the people that are buying or shopping at our company. So um, that was some good advice. Any, Laura, anything to add there? Yeah, I would just say, you know, <laughs> something that we were talking about in the presentation is like, this is the time, you know, people have more time at home and they have this time to get active on communication with the presentation of, you know, set up these scheduling tools, figure out your content, figure out what platforms, but because you have the time now, don't 
don't go too far with it. You know, you still want to plan something that's reasonable that you think you can do. So if you're setting up that schedule, you might have more time now, but think of it of how you can keep it consistent, even when we start to normalize or maybe you have more projects going and less time at home. Um, that way you're, you're setting up for success. And I thought of an example of, you know, thinking of reviews or even as soon as you're active on a platform, if you're active on Twitter, you might start to get DMs or on Facebook, if you're posting, you know, once a week, people might start messaging you instead of contacting you, you know, over the phone or via email, like you would normally get customer communications. So you should be prepared to be checking those messages too. I had an instance like this week where I was trying to get um, some new ice skates from this vendor that I know, and they've been posting on Instagram like multiple times a day and I messaged them and then they didn't respond at all. So it, it looks really weird if you're only doing pushing things out, but then not listening um, and you might lose business that way. So, you know, streamlining what you're doing and paying attention to all the pieces of it is really important. So don't set up your automatic push, uh, you know, content uh, distribution system and then go home and quarantine in your house and think you're yeah. done until the quarantine is lifted. <laughs> right. Personally get on there. Good advice. Great. So what is your guys' take on spending money to boost posts on Instagram and Facebook? I know I have um, some folks that I work with that kind of randomly boost posts and I'm curious to hear your, your take on that. Seems to be the strategy. It's just random, random boosting of, of posts. Or the not strategy. Um, <laughs> or, the, or the not strategy, yes. <laughs> um, the boosting, of, I can talk about um, Facebook really quickly, but um, boosting a post on Facebook, they have made, the platforms are always constantly changing. So that's, that is, that's one thing to kind of, keep up on just to try and understand where they are currently at. So Facebook made a change where um, it used to be when you posted anybody that followed you would see all of your content and then they started to throttle that back. And so um, now when you make a post, only a certain percentage of your audience will see what you have to post out um, or what you've posted. Boosting is a way to just in to increase the, um, the size of the audience that's, that's seeing the post. Um, I'd say it definitely needs to be uh, worthy there. You need to, you need to take the time to, to think about whether or not does this do does this require the budget that I am putting behind this? Would this be better served if I just maybe posted about this this week and then maybe two weeks from now to try and catch different people at different times? Um, it can you can use boosted posts to to get new audiences. It all really needs to serve in. I wouldn't just boost to boost. Um, it needs to fall in with whatever your objectives are for your business. So if you're trying to increase engagement, for example, then yeah, it might be nice to boost a post every once in a while. Um, that is some really interesting and engaging content to try and drive some of those comments or drive some messages back to you to Laura's point so that you can respond and kind of build up that community engagement because social media at, at its core is really about engaging. Um, and, and it does look weird to, it does look odd to spend money on a boosted post to try and get it out there to then get maybe 10 comments and not answer any single, like any one of them. So it definitely needs to fall in line with your objectives and what the goals of your business are. So when you boost a post, who's seeing it? Is it just your followers? Is it random people in an algorithm? Is it you have the ability to change to, to set that you can you can set it so a boosted post is shown to people who are like your audience or you can show it to more people within your audience that like kind of follow you already so again it kind of falls into the 
objective of like who you're trying to reach. Um, if you're trying to reach some new people, it can be an interesting way to maybe gain some new followers or get or reach some new folks. Um, or if you're just trying to drive engagement, then you can just essentially show it to more people who already um, follow follow you. But by responding, you can definitely drive up engagement, which is always great. Across engagement's good across all platforms, so that's kind of okay. a good rule. Okay. Uh, Laura, do you have any uh, news? You know, experience with boosting where it's been a particularly great or particularly bad move, or or yeah, it seems like Pete knows about boosting, but. <laughs> Yeah, I would have to agree with Pete that, you know, just randomly boosting posts, you know, you want to have a reason that you're doing it. It's some sort of strategy. Facebook, if you have a post that's like getting high engagement, will be like, hey, just boost this more. And what's the what's going to be the ROI of doing that? If it's just a random post, it could just be a photo of your team. And are you going to really get new engagement or customers from that? Um, thinking of like the end goal there. Um, the only thing that I could think that might work for a new post is if you announce something like a new product or a new service, or maybe you just put out a new case study, um, or during the pandemic, you're offering a certain package, like something like that. You could do a simple boosted post that way to try and expand that reach. And that would be a really targeted reason to do that. Um, but just, you know, if you're sharing just the contact page on your website of like, hey, these are our updated hours, and it's telling you to boost that, that might not have any value for you. Great. Um, so speaking of Facebook and, and, and having value and stuff, uh, let's start with Alex. Like, what is, what is your take on Facebook Live or Instagram Stories? Or, you know, it seems like every day, all of the platforms that are out there bring out a new feature that makes them just like another platform and trying to catch everybody's eyeballs. Um, I mean, do you have any hot takes on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I love Facebook Live for if it's a, you know, a scheduled thing that you're promoting and um, you want to, you know, maybe it's to demonstrate a product or it's, it's great for connecting with customers, but it's not great just to like do it um, sporadically or um, on the fly. I think it has to be something you schedule and you promote it. Um, and try and get people to attend it. Maybe you do, you're doing like a giveaway or something like that to get people there. But I think it can be a really great, um, tool for engaging and getting lots of comments and feedback. And you could even look at um, partnering with a manufacturer who has done them or does them. Uh, for example, my husband works for SVS um, speaker brand and they do Facebook lives a lot with deal with their dealers and they get thousands and thousands of people on these. Um, they have been doing them as we're all in lockdown and they've been getting even more people um, with great engagement, like like hundreds of comments a minute type of thing. I mean, they've been doing them for a long time, building that audience up, but every time you do it, they get a few more, a few new people. So if you can figure out a way to do it where you're showing product and you're doing a giveaway and you're bringing people on that have expertise in a certain area, um, I think it's it's a great thing to do. Back to the last topic, maybe something like that, a fixed in time event, like a live or like the conference that AV Nation just held that you all spoke at, that would be something to boost. Right. Because you have a, an, an actual purpose for the boost. So, um, Pete, uh, you know, you, you, you seem to be our guy on Facebook, but do, do you have a take on Instagram stories or I think Snapchat, Snapchat has stories too. So that's, you know, what? What, what, you know, uh, Alex gave us a great use case in our industry for, for the Facebook Live, which is 
actually very good, uh, great use of that. Um, anything on Insta? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Instagram stories. It's actually, I, <laughs> I did use, I used Snapchat um, uh, because it had it, that story feature. Um, and then I actually migrated to Instagram because I thought it was better. Um, uh, the, the cool thing about Instagram stories is they just exist up on your feed for 24 hours and then they're gone. So what is nice about them is you don't need to be like a lot of people spend a lot of time and meticulously plan out what they want to post on Instagram because that post goes up on your profile and it lives there and people can go back to it. But Instagram stories can kind of be like short and sweet and, and they also just disappear um, after a little while. Um, it's an inter it's a really interesting way. They, as they continue to add features, you can pose questions because now it's not just a photograph. You can do a photograph with an overlay of some text or, or a video or something like that. So, um, if you're demonstrating something really interesting or you have the ability to poll as well, um, on stories, which can be really, um, which can be really useful. Um, I think for companies that are just starting it out and maybe experimenting with it, um, if you, if you try it the first time, you might, get zero responses or very few responses, but the more, the more you do it and the more you start to build that audience, as Alex was mentioning, you'll start to see more responses and that can add to followers. And um, if a particular story that you have posted is resonating really well, you do actually have the ability to create a highlight on your Instagram profile and you can just save and add a story right to that. So kind of creates a more permanent place um, for, for your stories should you choose to do that. Otherwise, they kind of just post up there. They live there for 24 hours. People get to see it. It's very simple on Instagram to um, check your own story and see how many eyeballs you've had on it. So it can be really actually exciting for brands and companies to be like, oh, this is cool. Like 50 people, 50 of my followers saw this, saw this post that I put up on my story. And um, as you kind of work, you can increase those numbers. Um, you can also, it can be a really cool litmus test for what type of content um, your audience finds interesting too. Um, so maybe you do have a really funny or engaging um, technician who was doing something interesting on an install and you posted up like a 15 second story of them um, professionally installing something that might be of interest to that audience and they might want to see more of that. Maybe you start to discover a social media star within your own organization. <laughs> Terrific. Um, so Pete mentioned that... Um, you know, that's a great way to maybe discover content that your audience likes, and then you know to make more of that. So as we're winding up our time together here, I'm going to end with just a huge question that we could do an entire show on by itself, but I just want your first gut reaction, quick instinct answers here. Okay, guys, you're the professionals. What kind of content should I share? Laura? It might depend. Um, right off the bat, if I think of dealers, we recommend case studies a lot. Um, if you're doing stories, you can do cool things like, hey, I'm setting up a speaker today, or this is a new thing I did on programming. The cool thing, like Pete was saying about stories, is it can be super informal. Like People will just take it right up to their face and like walk you in. So it feels like you're really like bringing someone into you know your shop and what you're doing. Um, so it can help build relationships there. If someone might not know you in person, but they feel like they know you from Instagram. Um, so using like your personalities, but yeah, I mean, just showing, you know, the work that you're doing day to day, you know, if you do something really cool, if you got a new product and you're excited about it, talk about it. Um, people just want to see that kind of authentic content. Um, the only thing I would caution, especially if you're, if you're working on an install that day, or if you're sharing a case study, making sure that it's okay to share that because often people are working inside people's homes or businesses where it might not 
be okay to share that stuff to the world. So just being cognizant of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just bring them into what you're doing day to day. They want to see like the real you, not, you know, just the pretty pictures all the time. Yeah, I would agree with Laura. I mean, I think um, video and um, graphic. So make sure you're showing, you know, visual content is, is super important. I think that there's like so many studies out there that posts with some sort of visual get so much more engagement across all the platforms. So we always use that everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, installs, case studies, um, and like Laura was saying, behind the scenes stuff is really cool showing the personnel behind the brand and, um, you know, giveaways is a great thing if you're a dealer. Um, and you could, I mean, you can really use it as a way to showcase work in a visual way. I think that's what um, Instagram and Facebook are great for. Twitter is a really great, great place to interact with media. So, you know, comment on the AV in the morning or those kinds of posts that, that folks are always doing. Um, interact with other industry professionals and, and media who are, you know, very active on there and I find every time I do one of these things, I always get tons of new Twitter followers from the AV space, which is, which is really fun and cool. So uh, yeah, it doesn't always have to be your stuff. I mean, I think commenting and interacting with other people is also a great way to use these channels if you have the time. Terrific. And Pete, last but not least, my man, what, sure. what's your best, uh, what kind of content should I even post, man? Uh, the behind the scenes stuff is really cool. I love Laura's idea of if you get a particular product in that you're really jazzed about doing a short um, demo. Um, I think we included this in our presentation specific to Instagram. The audience tends to span on Instagram is a lot younger. I think over 50% of the user base on Instagram is like 35 and, and under. Um, but the dealers in the, that are in this industry are doing really cool and interesting um, installs and projects within the home to, to increase living spaces and make those a lot more interesting. Um, it could be a really cool place to reach new customers of just like, they might show it to the person who would make the purchasing decision on that of just like, look what this, look what I found on Instagram or, or on Facebook that um, these folks did within their, within their home. We should totally do something like this. Um, so the, the like like a demo something that they're jazzed about can can and where this could go into a into a home or or an installation of just like what this could do for the person um it could be really powerful as well so um the projects the if there's a even if there's like an article um or if you have been covered in the in the press um posting that stuff up too helps give you some of that legitimacy and um a little bit more clout as well so those are I agree with both Alex and, and Laura. Um, so that, that's, those are the types of things that you should be kind of be prioritizing, taking that block of time to plan out and then schedule out where you can. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. We have a whole list of other questions that folks have asked us and we might have to do a part two or have you guys back again. Well, I know we'll have you back again, but thank you so much. We really appreciate you guys coming in today and helping out with the Learn From Home Summit over the past couple weeks. Um, and let's just give the folks out there, um, let us know where they can find you if they have more questions on any of these topics or others relating to social media, content, marketing, communications type stuff. Um, let's start with you, Alex. Where can people find you? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter at Alex Crab with two Bs, C-R-A-B-B. -B. Um, 
And we're also Castercom with two M's, C-A-S-T-E-R-C-O-M-M on Twitter. And uh, you can also find us at Castercom.com um, and uh, on all the other social platforms. <laughs> How about you, Laura? <laughs> um, best place to find me is on Twitter. My handle is Laura Shoebell, but spelled S-H-O-E-B-E-L-L. And Pete. Yeah, Twitter for me as well. Um, mine's at Caster Pete, so C-A-S-T-E-R-P-E-T. Awesome. And I am Kelly Perkins. You can find me on all of the social media channels as well. Uh, Twitter at Kelly P. Perkins, LinkedIn at Kelly P. Perkins, um, and at Gmail as well. Um, how about you, Miss Dawn? You want to give people uh, access to where they can find you, even though you work at a super secret place? I was say, funny you put it that way, as folks that have been watching or listening to all of the shows on AV Nation know, since I leapt to the end user realm from the integrator realm, I can't tell you who I work for or where I work, but you can still find me all over social media, either at AV Dawn, like AV and my name, or you can find me on LinkedIn and the more official channels as Dawn Mead. Um, you can, of course, always find me here at avnation.tv with Miss Kelly hosting the AV Social Show and showing up periodically on AV Week and other podcasts as they actually invite me. I'll have to talk to some of those other hosts. Um, <laughs> while you are on AV Nation's uh, website, check out some of our previous uh, shows. I know we discussed the crisis communication during this show uh, and the Peter Shankman interview, which was some time back. Also, check out those conferences. I know both the residential and the commercial uh, learning from home conferences are available online. You can check those out, as well as our host of other fabulous podcast shows and specials, although we're not doing as much live coverage these days from our houses. Um, <laughs> Also, while you're on the site, make sure you check out our underwriters and, and supporters page to find all those companies and folks who make it possible for us to bring these shows to you. Thank you so much for your attention. We loved having you. We loved having our guests. And we'll see you all the next time here on AV Social. Bye.